0: Hello and welcome to the Coffee with Your Therapist podcast, the podcast where we talk with people in the therapy field about their careers, their work, and the music they like, all in twenty minutes. This week we talk to Sean Kelly, soon to be Dr. Sean Kelly, and Sean is a researcher in Trinity College Dublin. He tells us a story about working in universities in the U.S., Germany, and Ireland, and his thoughts on the different approaches he encountered. Sean's research has covered everything from Twitter word analysis to the social networks of macaque monkeys. Sean in particular talks about his commercial project MindGuard, which enables the earlier detection of depression and anxiety, which leads to quicker and more effective outcomes for clients who are using MindGuard. I'm delighted to have Sean as a guest. His knowledge of his research areas is extremely impressive. Enjoy the podcast. The podcast is sponsored by MindGuard who are bringing artificial intelligence technology and mobile app data to help therapists and their clients to reach better outcomes in a faster more insightful secure and trusted process. Check out mindguard.com. Uh, so Sean where, Sean where are you you're from LA originally, yeah?
1: Yep, I'm from LA, grew up there. Um first First part of my life, and then uh, moved over to the East Coast of the U.S. for for university in uh, in Atlanta. Um, studied ne- math and, uh, and neuroscience there. Um, kind of did some interesting work. Um, kind of got involved in a lot of different undergraduate research projects while I was there. Um, spent a lot of time working with with monkeys. Actually, huh, really. Yeah, there's a big a um this like eight or nine kind of national primate research centers throughout the U.S. Um, and one of them is just outside Atlanta, outside the University um Emory, and I worked on kind of social networks for rhesus macaques. So Are you serious?
0: Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so just I'll talk to um, soon to be Dr. Sean Kelly <laughs> as a, a researcher in Trinity College, and we're talking a little bit about. It was it was really interesting work he's doing. So so macaques, are they much different than, than
1: people? Um in some ways yes and others no. They're they're quite hierarchical. So there's a definitely a strict uh, dominance hierarchy and um they're not very nice to each other. They're they're quite mean and aggressive. <laughs> you know? But um yeah, it's interesting because there's basically this um kind of center, uh it's kind of two main centers in in the Atlanta area, and they have this kind of giant um Field research station mm. where they have uh, they do all sorts of cool um primate research there and my project was on this kind of colony of like 10 male macaques um so you can imagine they get quite quite rowdy with the with each other and they're in kind of this enclosure and the idea basically was to try to see could you use uh, macaques as a model for for autism basically also wow. um because mm-hmm. there's no real, pharmacological treatments for autism' were basically all kind of um, behavioral so the idea was to see if you could administer um, a particular drug to these monkeys as this animal model and see whether that would actually increase pro-social behavior and um, which might be applied eventually to to human children.
0: Well that's really interesting yeah and, and, and then you moved on I understand
1: yep um, and then after that I moved to um, Berlin. Um, for a a master's in uh, medical neuroscience. Mm. Um, Did that for for two years, Um, did some kind of interesting work there around um, depression and in Alzheimer's research. So trying to uh, see whether people who uh, had dementia or Alzheimer's were more likely to um, become depressed. Um, I was very interested in kind of public health research um, for a while. I kind of toyed with doing a uh, master's in public health in the U.S. Uh, saw the price tag and decided against <laughs> that quite, quite quickly. Um, and I kind of had an interest in, in living in, um, internationally for for a while, um, and that Germany would be an interesting place. So kind of ended up getting the, the both best of both worlds there, um, doing some kind of epidemiological research, even in a neuroscience master's program. Very
0: good, yes. Yeah, That's quite a background. Like, Not that I'm an expert on it, but it's quite a background. And how did you end up in Trinity College? Uh,
1: so basically, after my master's finished, I was, you know, as you do, kind of looking for the, the next step. Um, and basically, it's kind of looking... Um, kind of pretty much all over Europe and in the U.S. as to kind of where would be a a good place to to do a PhD. Um, so applied a few different places, interviewed around, um, and basically just kind of liked the the research that Trinity was doing was doing best. Um, I really liked my my advisor and working with her. Um, also, I got quite broad leeway with my PhD to kind of design it as I as I wished. So it's pretty uncommon, um, especially in Europe, to be able to take on a PhD without a defined goal. Usually, you're working on some kind of grant or some kind of predefined project where you know you're obviously able to to do your own research and kind of make it your own. But it's kind of rare to be you know just given you know a position with um, you know basically mental health, um, data science, machine learning, kind of design it as as you go forward. Um, so I was really lucky. To um, be able to do that with my PhD,
0: that's brilliant. And would you have a general comment on the difference between um, U.S. academia and European academia? Any, anything that stood out for you?
1: Um, I think some of the focus well, some of the focus can be kind of different, um, especially in, in kind of the neuroscience area. A lot of the the work, at least that I do, is kind of more clinically focused um in europe um so that's kind of one research difference so there's a lot of the mental health work here is very kind of patient oriented um compared to maybe some more kind of pure basic science work done in the u.s of course there's goes both ways basic science done here as well in europe um but also there's a lot more mobility um between countries in europe as you expect with with the eu which is which is nice um people kind of moving around a lot so you get to hear a lot of Different perspectives. Um, the U.S. research community, um, at least among um, U.S. citizens, they don't tend to maybe move um, internationally quite as much. So it's a more limited, maybe international perspective there.
0: Okay, yeah, that's interesting. So I'm aware you're working on a project called mineguard Obviously, uh, have some involvement in it. But um, it's could you talk to us about what your research? Where it was going and where it led to the idea for MineGuard. that I think that's quite an interesting story.
1: Yeah, so for my PhD, I was kind of very interested in kind of broadly the early detection of um, depression. So I started my PhD working on a couple projects, looking to see could you um, you know predict depression basically using language found on Twitter and seeing if you could identify um, differences in in language during times when people said they were depressed versus times when they said they were healthy. And kind of broadly found that, um, one, there are these differences in language when people are depressed compared to when they're healthy, and that's kind of um, related to the severity of of their depressive episode, and that you are able to actually, um, quite interestingly, make predictions of someone's mental health um, based off their Twitter data, even if it is kind of um, very noisy and kind of not at a, at a clinical level yet for um, clinical use. So basically, I kind of had these, these interesting results from um, my PhD of showing all these um, ways to use data in these kind of new and um, creative ways um, and kind of piggybacking on other research that had been done. But what I noticed there was this gap of kind of research that was being done in academic labs, um, actually making it to clinic. There wasn't as much of this work um, really being designed to be clinically useful and, and actually help patient outcomes. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my interest with with um, working in mind with MineGuard and working to to develop MineGuard is basically trying to create um you know artificial intelligence tools and uh, algorithms to actually um improve patient outcomes by leading to earlier detection of depression and allowing patients to kind of be able to to monitor themselves um, more efficiently
0: so so as i understand it uh, you, you mindguard essentially uses mobile phone data such as movement location communication to build a model of what you might call normal behavior is is that how it works
1: yeah so there's a couple techniques that kind of mind uh, makes use of so the first is kind of um, what are called ecological momentary assessments so that's when you ask um, basically participants to rate their mood a couple times a day um, and I worked on one of those projects for my PhD and when you can ask people about Uh, their mood several times a day you can kind of uncover the the dynamics of their of their emotions and see how those change over time and see kind of what causal links exist between symptoms so you know if someone's um, depressed you can see whether um, say they're if they're feeling not so good um, and the next time if they're feeling more tired and begin to understand those kind of causal relationships and see which symptoms are kind of the most useful to to break down those relationships and and improve their their mental health. and then recoupling that in mindguard with um, passive data. So as you can imagine if you're asking people to rate their mood um, several times a day, you can get really amazing uh, insights into how their emotions change over time. Um, but the problem with that is it's it's very hard for people to do for really long periods of time. Mm-hmm. So you can only really do that for a couple of weeks before people just kind of get burned out and they're not as interested in it anymore. So um, by using passive data like location and movement, you can kind of supplement um, those kind of questionnaires that you would ask every day and just use this passive data instead for kind of really long-term outcome monitoring. And that's actually kind of where um, that idea kind of germinated in one of the uh, first projects of my PhD. I used kind of Twitter data as a similar um, proxy as for passive data here. um, Basically trying to find a way to approximate asking people questionnaires every day uh, and found that Twitter could be a pretty good way to do that since people are rating their or writing posts about how they're feeling every day. And that's kind of approximate to how you know, if you're asking someone their mood every day, um, so it's kind of making ways, making use of different types of passive data to, you know, really augment kind of uh, questionnaires that have been developed, but are just really hard for people to do in the long term.
0: Okay, it's really interesting, and this uh, has a potential to lead to earlier detection and intervention and in depression or anxiety. That's that's the benefit in. Eh?
1: Exactly. Yeah, the idea is that if you can predict the onset of a depressive episode, um, just kind of before it happens, you're able to deliver interventions, what are called just-in-time interventions. So people are able to get access to, to care and treatment really at the at the time they need it most. Because the research shows that if you even you know, a delay of a few weeks in accessing um, depression um, treatment can really lead to to worse clinical outcomes. So it's um, quite crucial for people to get um, treated as soon as as possible.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah. So good luck with the project. I mean, I think it's pretty. As I say, I, I'm I'm involved. I think it's a pretty amazing project, and um, I know that uh, it's in clinical trial, and um, that MindGuard is looking for funding. So I, I hopefully it's going to have a, a a really good conclusion. I think. So so, Sean. Um, if you're going to live in Europe or the U.S., what what's your favorite or least favorite parts of living? uh you've lived in a few parts in Europe, obviously in a few cities in the U.S. So you would have a pretty good idea.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, <laughs> on, on my mind a lot these days after kind of concluding the PhD. Um, well, one thing is is um is the weather. <laughs> Uh, that's a big factor i'm I'm sitting here in, the, in my apartment and my hands are freezing. you <laughs> can feel the draft and everything um so that's kind of the the one big thing i I do miss about um being in l a is just uh, being able to get out and enjoy the warmth and everything mm-hmm. um but also you know um l a is a big car centric city so anywhere you need to go um you need a car for it. Uh, I remember my partner was was over visiting my my parents and he wanted to go for you know a short walk to the grocery store, which would have taken like two hours. And I finally just <laughs> persuaded dis- <laughs> him that that wasn't the best of, of ideas. <laughs> we we still ended up doing an, an hour walk to the grocery store and he he mentions that to this day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, sure. So yeah, just
1: being able to to kind of walk down the street and, and get a coffee is uh something I, I, I like being able to do here.
0: Yeah, it's pretty, uh, well, Dublin's not that big a city, but even in Berlin, it's obviously, um, uh, it was a walking city as well, or the the um,
1: metro is very good. Um, yeah, I definitely like uh, like walks. I kind of always explore cities by by walking them, so anytime I can walk around, it's kind of a, a big plus for me. I always say I can see a city quite efficiently within a day or so. I saw all of Barcelona walking in a, in a day. I was very proud yeah. of that.
0: Very good. And on this podcast, we always end up with some music. So uh, are you a big music fan or is it part of your life? What, what's your
1: view on music? Not not too big in music, actually, kind of maybe so, so rather surprisingly. Don't listen to too much um, music, um, really. kind of got into German rap for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I found that kind of um, <laughs> interesting to sometimes listen to that. How's your German? Is it good? Uh, it's gotten worse. Actually, it got it got a bit worse after living in Germany, just because <laughs> Berlin is so, so um, international that um, kind of even my program was um, an international. It was really geared towards inter- attracting international students to Germany. So it was only about maybe thirty percent German students there. Mm-hmm. So pretty much the lingua franca was was English for for everything really and. Um, in most of Berlin, it would be you know you're, you're often meeting other expats and things. You're often communicating in English, and um, people wouldn't have time for your your poor German anyway. <laughs> <laughs> As, so,
0: what, is there any song you'd like to, or a number of songs you you'd uh, you're interested in?
1: Oh, number of songs. Uh, not too sure about that. Huh. Um, yeah, I don't know that song.
0: <laughs> oh, this <laughs> is is there a song you'd like to play out
1: on? German um,
0: rap, if you want, I don't mind.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sure appropriate for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to understand it. <laughs> um, hmm. and there's Stromae. That's kind of nice. He's a French kind of pop guy. It's like um, "Tous les That's kind of a nice song, actually.
0: "Tous les by what's his What's his name? Papa, uh,
1: not uh, what's his? Stromae. No, he's Belgium. Belgium. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's we'll play that then. As <laughs> really I try lovely. to
1: remember songs that I listen to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Always right, John. Thanks for being on the podcast. no yeah, that was great to be on. <laughs>
2: Je suis pas certaine que, que, que tu le mérites. Vous avez de la chance pour vous oeuvres. Dis-moi merci. Rendez-vous, rendez-vous, rendez-vous au prochain règlement. Rendez-vous, rendez-vous, rendez-vous sûrement aux prochaines règles. Cette fois, c'était la dernière. Rendez-vous, rendez-vous, rendez-vous sûrement aux prochaines rêves Facile à dire, je suis gnangnan Et que j'aime trop les blablabla Mais non, 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 c'est important Rendez-vous, rendez-vous, rendez-vous